Nikola Jokic is in, Chris Paul is out, and it's time for another Suns playoff game day. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, everything you need to know about Suns Nuggets Game 5. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show. Wherever you get your podcasts, a big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Tuesday, getting you ready for Game 5. Hit follow or subscribe anywhere you find podcasts. If you have not already, we're free. We're here every single day to get you locked on to your favorite team. Become an everydayer. Listen to this show every day. All you have to do to get it, Again, just hit follow or subscribe. You can also follow along at Locked On PHX Suns over on Twitter to get involved, get engaged, have some fun on game days and all that good stuff. We have a lot to get to, so let's get right into it. Nikola Jokic is in. Chris Paul is out. I'll break that down for you in a second. Today's show, guys, brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Nikola Jokic Got into it with Suns owner Matt Ishbia, in case you might have missed that whole snafu. I'm pretty proud of the media. We didn't make it the entirety of the day's talk, but I think Matt Ishbia, credit to him, got out in front of it a little bit by tweeting first thing in the morning that he was hoping Nikola Jokic did not get suspended and was excited for Game 5 and sort of let's keep it moving type of thing as far as the news cycle goes, maybe dropping a line to the NBA, maybe there was some behind the scenes, either way. $25,000 fine for, for Jokic, but no suspension. I think that's the best outcome. That's sort of where I expected things to go. I know there's some Suns fans probably still disappointed that by the letter of the law, Jokic maybe could have been, maybe you think should have been suspended. I think that there's a, a fine argument to make on that side in terms of getting into the crowd, making contact with a fan, but I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit naive, a little bit um, in like intentionally playing dumb a little bit to not, you know, admit that Ishbia is not just a fan. However, uh, Michael Malone and Nikola Jokic both insisted on calling him a fan over and over, which I don't think helped their case. So, but anyway, while I, while I know that's, I know that's on Suns fans' minds, but I'm just going to say that he is an owner of the team. He is a member of the NBA. You know, it's, it's the same thing as if, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was a, you know, assistant coach or, or something like that. Like, it, we can't pretend like he was some stranger that Jokic just punched, you know. It's a little it's a little silly to do that. Chris Paul. Ruled out already as I'm recording this on at 5.30 Phoenix time Monday, which means they didn't do the whole game of questionable or doubtful or any of that stuff. He is out with the left groin strain that he's been out with since game two. Um, however, CP3 did get shots up at practice on Monday in Denver. If you look at the videos coming out of the reporters that are over there, Gerald Bourget, I think, was the one that I saw. Shouts out to Gerald. That is a good sign, right? And then you have Sham Sharania reporting that he could be back for game six. You know, But at the same time that he's reporting that, he's also very much saying, you know, 
This is an injury that in the postseason might be something you try to push back in a week, but I think the original thing Sham said was in the regular season, this is something you would miss two to three weeks with. So with the news out of the way, let me tell you my take on both of those things. Um, I, I kind of gave it to you on, on Jokic already. I just want to reiterate what we talked about last night, which is as much as I'm going to be right there with all of you, happy if the Suns can survive the Nuggets, I do think, especially after losing to Dallas last year, beating some teams that have had guys out, whether it's Zion or Kawhi or Murray or Davis, all throughout the past couple of years, Kawhi twice, right? Paul George this year, etc. It would have taken the air out of some of this. And I just also feel like this has been an incredible series. I'll tell you, as this show goes along, do not take that as me feeling like the Suns don't have a chance and I just want to watch them go down while watching a great play. Like, I'm not trying to do any of that where I'm rooting for losses or trying to tell you that I want Jokic in there while also telling you I think Jokic will beat them. None of that. I think the Suns can. And after last night, inclined to believe that they have a very good shot at winning this series with or without Nikola Jokic. But it would be a little bit empty, at least for this one game, to go up against them in a home game that they have without their best player. I just don't ever root for that. I, I wasn't sitting there wanting Davis to do that in game in the first round of 2021 when he's limping around on the court in that was a game five. Like that stuff's ugly. You never want that, obviously, from injury standpoint, but you just want the best dudes out there. Chris Paul stuff, this might sound crazy. I don't know. Hold Chris Paul out as long as you keep winning games, to be honest with you. If they're able to pull out this winning game five, and look, I know they're on the road, they're the underdog. I'm not telling you they're going to win, but if they win, I, I'd say keep holding him out. I understand game six is at home. I understand that makes it, what, basically a full week um, since he had that pull. But if you're up 3-2 in a series coming back home, as much as it's nice to have a player come back home with the closeout game and all that stuff, the Suns, I believe that's when Booker came back in round one against the Pelicans last year. Or no, I think it was actually the game four that he came back, um, now that I'm thinking of it. But regardless... Um, I think you just keep holding Chris Paul out. They're winning without him, you know? And I think there is something to be said for against the Nuggets. The ability to push pace and drive into the paint and, and be a threat in that way has been a really big advantage for, for the Suns. And so that's something that Chris Paul doesn't do. He just, especially as he's gotten older, it's, it's asking even more of him to play that fast for entire games at a time. And we'll get into the numbers behind that here in a second, but... I'm not saying the Suns are, are better overall over the course of an entire postseason without Chris Paul. I think that there are a lot of things he does. There are a lot of matchups, ways that he can affect the game. thought he was pretty darn good at a lot of moments in that Clippers series, being more of a release valve, being somebody late in games who could pull apart their defense. In this series, it has been Booker and Durant, and they have found some answers for things that when the ball is in their hands that I just don't know if that same thing happens with Chris Paul. I don't know if Chris Paul, for instance, takes the threes in the corner, you know, that Shamit and TJ Warren and even Terrence Ross have been taking that recipe is working. Can they win games with Chris Paul? Of course. But if you're winning and you have a chance to close it out at home in game six, I don't know why you bring in the wrinkle and we have time to talk about it as we get more updates headed toward game six, but that's my, re that's my instinct right now. If you can win this game five, Keep him out for game six and maybe keep him out for game seven. Even if 
they do end up in a Game 7 situation. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just not really wanting to mess with a good thing. Now, if they lay an egg in one of these games, I might feel differently, but that's where I'm at right now. All right, let's talk about, let me see, five? I have five categories for you that are all on-off areas where key Suns players have impacted the game in ways you definitely haven't realized. We'll get into those next. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by Game Time. I am looking for Padres tickets in June. We're taking my stepdad to San Diego for a little weekend getaway for his 50th birthday. You know, nothing too big, but we want to go to a Padres game for sure. And, you know, they've been selling out games. They are a hot ticket all of a sudden. And it's downtown, and it's a weekend, and it's the summer. It's a beautiful time. Of course, everyone wants to go to a baseball game. Game time's going to be there for me. Going to be clutch. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. My favorite part, maybe beyond the, they have a lot of protections for you. Lowest price guarantee, event cancellation, job loss, all that's great. You can do it very quickly. The ticket is right there in your app rather than being at the bottom of your email. But my favorite part is you get an image of your seat before you buy it. So right as you're looking through what is available to you, you can say, okay, this is what I will be looking at. And then, you know, baseball, sometimes that can be, pretty important you know basketball every seat's a good seat for the most part you know might be squinting a little bit but you can see everything place isn't that big baseball it's like you know you don't you might not be able to see balls and strikes you might be looking around somebody when the ball goes into the outfield you want to know and game time has it download the game time app create an account use the code locked on nba for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account redeem the code locked on nba when you do for 20 dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Coming back, five areas where Key Suns players are impacting the game in a way you might not expect, specifically looking at on and off, or when this player's out there, what's changing, all right? And it's it's four games into the series now, but a lot of these are actually going to be all playoffs long, all right? Because that's what's available publicly, but the impact is still there. I mean, a lot of these players, uh, at least in, in two specific cases, three specific cases here, you know, they haven't always played every game. But let's start with the two superstars, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. This has gotten a lot of attention, but I think the numbers are still pretty insane. I believe the number in game three was Devin Booker had 15 points in transition. I'm not sure what that number was in game four, but he has been on an absolute roll. And when you look at the on-off, it's even more incredible. The Phoenix Suns have upped their transition frequency by 3.5% when Devin Booker has been out there. You could actually even toss Kevin Durant into this one as well. They are increasing their frequency by 4% when Durant is out there, and both of those guys are adding an incredible amount of efficiency when they choose to run. It, it has been an obvious push by the Phoenix Suns to run on Denver. I think, again, as we were just talking about with Chris Paul, that's a big reason that I'm not really looking to, you know, chance that or mess with it if I'm the Suns. But again, conversation for a different day. The real, the real uh, instrumental people in that have been Durant and Booker. So I guess it's not really necessarily Cameron Payne when he has been out there in these playoffs the Suns are running 
4.2% less often, which is a little weird. You wouldn't think so, but maybe that's some stuff from, you know, some small amount that he had in the, in the Clippers series or whatnot. When those two guys have openings, when Nikola Jokic is slow to get down the floor, when they have a mismatch, whatever the case is, they are pushing. I do feel like campaign had a few hit ahead passes. We saw the Devin Booker hail Mary to Kevin Durant. All that stuff is adding up to a pretty impressive situation. The Nuggets have the 11th transition defense in, wait, hold on. Let me get this correct. They have the ninth ranked transition defense in the playoffs so far. But if I were to, to do that from the game one of this series on, uh, let me do that really quick. I would be curious to see where things stand. I'll get that in a second, but that's, that's number one. Number two is Kevin Durant's rebounding. All right. And this one actually might be even more crazy. All right. The Phoenix Suns are allowing opponents almost 10% lower of an offensive rebounding rate when Durant is in the game. I think this is the part of Kevin Durant's game that absolutely has not gotten enough attention through really the whole playoffs, but especially in this series. And honestly, game four was a perfect example of it. The, the Nuggets got five or six offensive rebounds in the first quarter, and honestly, like four or five of those in the first few minutes of this game. Like DeAndre Ayton set the tone with getting three on the Suns' first few possessions, but or on the first possession, and then I think a fourth a couple minutes later. But the Nuggets matched that. And basically from that first quarter on, you look up and Durant is just completely snuffing out any trace of, of offensive rebounding by Denver. They finished the game with 10, you know, and Jokic only had one. If you look on any miss where Durant is around the basket, his butt is smashed into somebody. Uh, and that's... I mean, that's obviously incredible no matter who you're talking about, but for a, you know, mid-30s veteran superstar offensive player who has injury risks and all that stuff to be playing that physically just in order to take away something that the Suns have struggled with is huge. No one else on this team, by the way, is making an impact of even three percentage points in that category. So... Devin Booker, is when he's out there, the team is allowing 2% fewer offensive rebounds than their average. With Durant, again, it's nine. That's massive. I wanted to circle back to the Denver transition defense in this specific series here uh, before we move away from that to, to tie the bow on the, the Nuggets thing. So they're fifth in transition defense um, in the... That is so strange. It's a lot about frequency, I guess, now that I'm looking at it. Um, and there's some flukes because a lot of teams might not have played many games in that stretch, but they are allowing 148 points per possession, which is the worst um, overall in transition. And they are allowing 166 points per 100 possessions off of live rebounds in this series. And a lot of that, again, coming from Booker as well as Durant. Next up, we have DeAndre Ayton guarding Nikola Jokic. I'm going to start with, with Ayton because I don't want to go right into the negative, all right? 28 minutes where Ayton has guarded Jokic in this series, all right? The Nuggets have scored 138 points in those minutes, 
and that's 142 possessions. So that is the equivalent over 100 possessions of 97 points. That would be the worst offense in the NBA by a mile. That would be like, you know, early 2000s Jerry Stackhouse offenses or whatever, you know. That's not that's not good. And it speaks to what we see with our eyes, right? Yes, 132 points, right? That's a lot. And the Nugget in 28 minutes, that's a ton, right? And Jokic has scored 17 points against Aiton on 16 shot attempts. Pretty good. You know, he has four assists to just two turnovers. He's only gotten a shot blocked by Aiton one time. But, again, less than a point per possession and only gotten to the free throw line twice. That's something that's that's really impressive. Jokic has mostly drawn fouls on the other guys. All right? Um, he has only been fouled by Jokic, by, by Aiton and Landale twice, or once, it looks like, in terms of shooting fouls, okay? So that's all really good stuff. A lot of that is difficult to necessarily pull a lot from, I will just say, but uh, it's, the best we can, it's the best we have, and I, I think the reason I share it is because it backs up what we're seeing. This is the point in the series where this stuff is, it's out there, right? Like, this is not exactly like all of a sudden Jokic is going to do something dramatically different against these guys. I mean, maybe, but he's scoring like crazy, right? You're just limiting him a bit here and there. It's not as if some random role player is going to go off that we're not expecting. Like, the, the chips are on the table, and we'll get to that in a second when we really dive into game five, but I think this is a great example. Now we're four games in, and you can see Aiton, when he's, guard, when he's guarding Jokic, he's not fouling that much, and he's allowing shots to go in, but not in an overwhelming way that's going to kill you. Let's go to Landale, though, because I do want to give him quite a bit of props here as well. And you know where I'm going. It is uh, offensive rebounding. Now, Landale hasn't played enough possessions to get into the leaderboard stuff here that cleaningtheglass.com has, which is where I'm getting all of this. But when the Suns have been, when, when Landale has been out there, the Suns have grabbed almost 8% more of their own misses than when he uh, is not out there. You look at DeAndre Ayton, kind of one-to-one, right? Obviously, because the, he's basically his backup. But Biombo was out there too. Biombo actually had an even bigger impact on the offensive glass. It was just some of the other stuff he couldn't do. DeAndre Ayton, when he's out there, the Suns are, are getting 7% fewer offensive rebounds. So that just speaks to what Landale has been able to do for this team where he is impacting the glass in a really huge way. He's also been better on the defensive glass in, in terms of on-off impact than Aiton. That's a huge part of why he's playing minutes, a huge part of why he closed game three over Aiton, and uh, you know why he was almost even with Aiton in minutes in game four. Last one here, TJ Warren. This is just overall, and this is going to blow your mind, all right? Again, this is just playoffs, on-off impact, net rating. So just pure net rating, not which category did somebody impact the most or how they guard one particular player like I've been talking about. This is just when TJ Warren has been out there, which is only 50 possessions, 50 minutes, sorry, not, not possessions, 50 minutes in the playoffs overall. This is, again, not even just the Nuggets series. The Suns have outscored the Nuggets, although I'm not sure he played in the Clippers series. So maybe that, that is actually, in this case, um, just for TJ, it is just Denver. Plus 31. That's the best on the team. Better than Devin Booker, better than Kevin Durant, better than anyone. 
When TJ Warren has stepped onto the court, the Suns have outscored their opponent by 31.3 points per 100 possessions. He, it's not crazy to say that putting him onto the court more in these games three and four unlocked what the Suns needed to win. I mean, it's, it's, it's that big, and it's offense and defense, and we'll talk about him more, but really, to me, it's like he has been able to be exactly what Monty was trying to find when he put Torrey Craig and Ish Wainwright out there to guard Bruce Brown, to guard Jamal Murray, whatever the case is, that has been TJ's role defensively, and then obviously offensively, made those threes and the floater in game three. I thought he scored four or five early points in the first half of game four. He was uh, he got a couple buckets when there was uh, when it was just Durant out there, which is a little bit of a tricky lineup because you don't know necessarily who's going to handle the ball all the time, and Durant has had struggles doing that in this postseason. So TJ getting a couple shots to go in, he helped get Jeff Green into foul trouble, all that stuff, and the defense. It's not a surprise to me, but that is just a huge number. Uh, for anybody to have it'll obviously go down as he plays more because that's just what's going to happen he'll be out there for a a nuggets run or he'll miss a few shots in one game and and that'll that'll go down but Monty putting him out there I feel very vindicated all right I've been saying I where's TJ you know did I did I foresee plus 31 no did I foresee him you know being a clutch scorer in game three of course not but it happened and uh, I think that's what happens when you put your best players on the court all right deep dive on game five Everything you need to know. Adjustments, rotations, Suns on offense, Denver on offense. What's going to happen on both sides of the court? We'll get into it. Next, first today's show, guys, brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks came in, fixed daily fantasy sports. And now, every day of the NBA playoffs, all the way through the NBA finals, one Prize Picks user will receive the opportunity to be entered into a chance to win a million dollars. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern each day will be randomly selected. Whoever placed that entry, the user who placed that entry, will be given a six-pick flex opportunity, a new entry, with the following payout. Six correct picks, 100% right, million dollars, right in your pocket. Five correct picks, 80,000. Four correct picks, 16,000. Full details can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at that link for the million-dollar entry, but all you have to do is put in an entry as Always, again, Prize Picks, the place for daily fantasy. Download the Prize Picks app. Go to PrizePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. It means if you deposit 100, Prize Picks matches that, puts 100 right back in your pocket. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Closing things out. Let's get a little nerdy here. X's and O's. What are we going to be looking for in Game Five? Again, to me, this series is at the point where. All the cards are on the table. It's just about who's going to win. It's just about which stuff is the most replicable, who can make tiny adjustments here and there just to tighten up what we've already seen them do, but there's not going to be a lot of new happening. It's just, again, repeat what you have been doing that's working and try to clean up where you're not, where it's not working, where you're slipping up. To me, again, big picture, before we get into the X's and O's, the Sun should be looking to take control of this series at all costs in Game 5. Talked about it a little bit with Brandon Duenas on Monday's show, but that's how I would be approaching this thing. Not that you ever go into a game not wanting to win, but they can't have the mentality of this is a road game, we'll have a home game in game six, and then we trust ourselves in a game seven. No, you have the momentum. You're coming off two straight wins. You know, Denver, Denver's the team that's probably going to have to adjust in this game as we're about to talk about. So get them on their heels. Try to steal a road game. 
I don't think you're going to blow them out on the, in, on their home court. I, I doubt that will be happening. You know, there haven't really been any blowouts in this whole series. You could say game one was that, but I, I wouldn't personally. But try to steal one. That would be my, my mentality. Let's start with the, nugget, the Nuggets on offense. All right. Coming off of a game where Nicole Jokic scored 53 points, where I believe Jokic and Murray combined for 82 or 83, something like that. The easy thing would be to say, make the role players beat you, right? Adjust how you're guarding Jokic so that he can't do that again. He was amazing in Phoenix. But I feel like the role players are likely to be better at home, just like they were in game one when Gordon and Brown went off in game two when Caldwell Pope went off. And also look, I mean, as much as Jokic has been scoring, I think the Suns have guarded the two-man game well between him and Murray with just two defenders. They haven't had to send a lot of extra help or mess with it. And they've been able to get those guys to turn the ball over, to miss shots enough to win these games. And I think they've, at least in, in the home games, I feel like the Suns guarded the back cuts and some of the, the off ball stuff that you have to be ready for against Denver pretty well, you know, individual players, because again, you would expect some of these role players to be a little bit better in, in Denver than they were in Phoenix. I think you obviously look at, and maybe you don't even call these guys role players. I do. I mean, that's what they are on this team. Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, right? I think MPJ has been mostly a negative in this series, unfortunately. He had a pretty big game three scoring the ball, uh, just made some threes, but he's been pretty poor in, in one-on-one defense at the very least, getting blown by, getting picked on, and I think he's had some games where his decision-making has been really rough on offense. You know, the beginning of game three, I thought it was that. Game four, for sure. You know, he's made an impact here and there. I think he had, you know, 11 points in game one. I can't remember how he played in game two. I don't feel like you necessarily worry about him, but we know he can get hot. You know, I don't think it would be the craziest thing, especially on threes. No one can contest his shot off the catch, and when he's, when he decides to go into that, you know, sidestep or step back, that's that's money too. So I'm not I'm not saying that Michael Porter Jr. cannot have an impact on game five. I'm saying that you don't plan for that. You don't game plan around, well, he might. Okay, let him. You know, that has that's a playoffs are about making choices like that. To me, Aaron Gordon is a wild card, right? If he makes a couple threes, he was good in game one. This is the recipe, right? Make a couple threes when they play off of you, hit the offensive glass, avoid fouls, which he got into a problem with in game four. You could see him scoring 20 plus again. But every single team that has beaten Nikola Jokic in the playoffs throughout his entire career, Nuggets fans hated that I said this in the preview stuff. I don't understand what the argument is here. I'm, 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 I'm in awe of this dude scoring the way that he has. When he flips the switch and goes into score mode, into aggressive, offensive, get-your-own mode, he can score in any way he wants, whenever he wants. I'm not doing this to, to be disrespectful to Nikola Jokic. I'm saying that this is the recipe. You play him straight up. Let him score against solid defense, solid contests, if he can, which he can, and just try to cut the other stuff off. And that's what the Suns need to try to do. It comes down to focus and effort and Jock and Aiton forcing enough misses here and there to eke out a win. That's what this series is going to be. That's what this series was always going to be. It was going to be 115 plus by both teams every single night in these wins. And who's going to win a single digit game? It's maybe the two best teams left in the NBA playoffs right now, okay? Is that enough respect, Nuggets fans? You're welcome. I'm not disrespecting your team, but this is what this stuff is about. You think that the Nuggets, that the Suns are game planning, being like, ah, Nuggets, you guys suck. We're going to do this and that. No, this is what you have to do. 
Let's go to when the Suns are on offense. The Suns have solved Denver putting Jokic at the level and Jokic guarding a wing like Kogi. at this point. They've solved it. Jokic at the level of the screen, you know, when he steps up, tries to contain the, the drive or get a hand in the face of the ball handler. Booker was asking for that in game four. He was dribbling toward the sideline in order to coax Joker over to him and then slide a pass to the big man or to the opposite side, the weak side of the floor for a three in games three and four. All right. So I don't, I'm not saying we won't see that ever again. There's only so many options. That's what Denver wants to do with Jokic, but there, this might be the game that we see Denver finally put Jokic in, in that drop defense against the pick and roll at least do something different, at least dare Booker to beat you a different way. In this case, contested pull-up jumpers, you know, would be the ideal if you can get a defender like Bruce Brown or Kentavious Caldwell-Pope to fight over the screen, get a hand in Booker's face when he goes up for that mid-range. I'm not here to tell you he won't make that shot. Again, all the chips are on the table, guys. I'm not saying this stuff knowing that it's going to work. I'm just saying you can't roll the same you know, decisions out on a game-by-game basis and not change anything. You got to mix things up a little bit, you know. Even with the Suns and and Jokic, like I just talked about, I doubt that they play everything exactly the same way, you know. There were moments where they fronted Jokic in game four and had Durant on the backside. Maybe there's more of that. I'm just saying you don't want to overplay Jokic. Similarly with Booker, you want to give him something a little bit different while maintaining your basic principles, and I do think... Putting, uh, you know, Jokic in drop a little bit more might be a way to at least change what he's processing because very clearly he is not phased by what it is that Denver is is putting him through right now. If Michael Porter Jr. doesn't have it, as I talked about in that last bit, I think this might be the game where you see them again close with Bruce Brown over Porter Jr., get Brown and Aaron Gordon on the court against Book and Durant, late in these games. And that will help you fight over these screens, help you get bodies. You know, we saw in game two late, Bruce Brown blocked Durant because Gordon was on him and Brown was overhelping and it was just a swarm. That's that's a great recipe. Can you score enough with those two and their lack of floor spacing? I don't know, but it might be your best chance in a late game situation. Especially if Jokic is just going to score every time he touches the ball in isolation. And you don't really have to worry about spacing because Jokic is going to be uh, making every shot that he takes. Last thing on this, though, and we have some, I'll have some small things to rip through to close out the show. The easy, obvious thing when you talk about drop defense, right, is, is okay, you, you, t- you start taking pull-ups. Like, okay, but I think the other part of it, though, that Denver will have in the back of their mind if they do go to that coverage more is... The Suns can then try to get Jokic in foul trouble a little bit more, right? Like I've been I've been hyping up Booker's ability to sense where Jokic is on the court at all times. He doesn't necessarily treat him as some sort of fearsome rim protector, but the bottom line is the dude's seven feet tall. It's a lot easier to score at the basket when he's not there than it is when he is there, even if he's not gonna necessarily block five shots a game, right? So that's been incredible, rejecting the screen so that Jokic is caught up at the top of the key. Again, the transition stuff, these are all ways that Booker's been doing it. But that means Jokic hasn't really been in foul trouble in any of these games, right? So if he's in drop and you do get aggressive against that, if you're the ball handler, that means driving into him, maybe making him slap at you, you know, getting getting him to actually contest shots at the basket. Same thing with the roll, right? If you can get it to DeAndre Ayton on a lob or, you know, in space for a 
potential layup or dunk on the roll, that means eight, that means Jokic is, is making a decision there as well. And a lot of the time, the, the decision he's going to be making, the one he's going to make, is to not contest. That tends to be what he does because he, he knows he can't afford to get into foul trouble and he's probably not going to get a steal or a block most of the time anyway. Nuggets fans listening, that was a little bit of disrespect to your team. I'm sorry, but it's like the one weakness you guys have. So, uh, you know, sorry. This show's for Suns fans. It's all right. Let's rip through three more things. I have it labeled as smaller stuff, but I think it's important. One, does Denver completely stop grashing the offensive glass to try and take away transition? Do they just say, we're going to have a game? Because again, it's just about trying to change a little bit of your approach here to try to take away what the other team is doing. You're not going to change the way you play overall, but there are some small things, and this feels like one we could see. I understand Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Nikola Jokic, all these guys are pretty effective getting offensive rebounds. In games one and two, that felt like it made a big difference. You know, Even in, games, in game three, I would say it made a pretty big difference. I think game four, the Suns were able to turn that off a little bit, but that's a, a major advantage that Denver has. At the same time, the Suns have shown, especially with Chris Paul out, that they're going to punish the Nuggets each and every opportunity that they get. And the easiest way to improve your transition defense, other than just, hey, play harder. Well, that doesn't that only takes you so far. If you're making a real adjustment to where the bodies are and what they're doing, you gotta try to maybe not hit the offensive glass so hard. Maybe that's certain lineups, you know, maybe it's when Jokic is off the court. They make a point of it more. I know that was actually a strength, though, in the first couple games when Jokic was off the court, was that they were getting those offensive rebounds with some of the, you know, smaller lineups just just playing physically. It's not an easy decision, but it's something to watch for. Number two, the Nuggets will go into this game knowing, finally, you know, that Ross, and I would even say Cameron Payne, will play. Now, they knew that in games three and four, but, you know, you got to feel it out a little bit, especially with Payne. And they did attack Payne a little bit in game four. But I could see them in this game trying to get Murray, Porter Jr., Gordon in ISO opportunities versus those poor defenders. Trying to find cross-match opportunities. The Nuggets running a little bit more would be a way to do that, right? Get get the ball in your hands and go, and whoever grabs you probably going to have an advantage over that guy because it's not your primary defender in all likelihood. Murray does this, but it's post-ups, you know, and it's post-ups a lot of the time against guys who can guard him. Like we saw him trying to post up Landry Shamit. Like that, it's fine, but when you're taking 10 seconds to dribble the air out of the ball and taking a contested shot, the Suns will take that, you know? Ball's not moving and you're taking a hard shot. That's that's a win for the defense, even though we know Murray can take that shot. So be a little more purposeful about it. Be a little more decisive. I think we could see that from Denver. I guess all these smaller stuff things are on the Denver side. Um Look, I just maybe I'm feeling a little confident about Phoenix coming off of those games. I think with the Suns, it, it's pretty simple. The the role players just need to hit enough shots. You know, they need to continue to have some offensive rebounding success with Aiton and, and Landale. I don't really feel like the Suns are in a position where they're going to have to dramatically change what it is they do. Denver doesn't need to either. These games have been close, but I think if you're Denver, you're probably the one feeling a little more pressure to change some stuff. So last thing there would be that this might be the game we finally see Zeke Naji with. Uh, with Jeff Green playing poorly and the Nuggets maybe wanting a little bit more size. I don't think Jeff Green has made a very big impact on this series. He was in foul trouble in game four. He can't guard Kevin Durant. It's not going well, all right? And so that coupled with the fact that he's not really a traditional center and they're kind of having to play Aaron Gordon and him together anytime that Green is out there, Gordon kind of has to also be out there so they can cobble together a big enough 
front court to make it work. If you want to go with a real center, Zeke Nagy is your answer. He's not a rookie. He's a, what is it? A, this is his third season? I guess it would be. That's crazy. It was about to say year two for him, but it is year three. He hasn't really played a ton for this team over the course of his time there, but that's something that he can make an impact doing. You know, I could see him, at, you know, defending at the level of the screen the same way Jokic has, but just doing it a little bit better, all these different things. And then lastly, Harrison Windover at DNVR, who does, they all do great work covering the Nuggets, brought up the idea of Peyton Watson, which you'll remember as Kevin Durant's buddy and somebody who played pretty well against this Suns team in those two late season matchups when the Nuggets rested everybody. Peyton Watson is just a big, you know, Aaron Gordon type of dude, an athlete, a physical guy, strong guy who can maybe guard Durant a little bit, maybe help you in terms of, of rebounding or forcing turnover, just making the game a little bit less predictable. I could also see them, aside from Jeff Green, maybe benching Christian Brown, who I don't feel in the game. I don't feel him. He hasn't been making a huge impact. So that's it. There you go. The Suns are plus 170 money line to win this game. That feels right, but I feel pretty confident about the Suns. I think, I don't think I'm going to predict a win on the road here, but this is the best I've felt going into a game for the Suns this entire series, including game one, including game four coming off a win. This one is the best one that uh, I have felt. So there you go. Back tomorrow. Recapping this game at the buzzer. It's a road game, so I really mean at the buzzer for the everydayers. Hit follow or subscribe. If you have not already, become an everydayer. Get that show in your feed and everything all throughout the playoffs. That'll wrap us up. Hit Locked On Sports today to get caught up on all things sports next as your second listen, and I'll catch you guys tonight.